Welcome to the Queen City Church Podcast. We're so excited that you decided to join us, and we wanted to personally welcome you. Thank you so much for listening in today. Our goal is that this message will encourage you and give you practical steps for a relationship with God that keep getting better and better. Enjoy the message. We are in the third week of a series that we're calling Baby Monsters. And the big idea is that we, we all are prone to have these baby monsters in our lives. And if we can stop them in their infancy, they will never reach maturity. That's the big idea of this series. If we can stop things in their infancy, when they're small, when they're babies, they will never reach maturity because all big things eventually, like they start out small. And so that applies to the monsters in our lives because all big monsters start out at some point as baby monsters. And if we don't deal with them, they will grow. And I started thinking about that this week. And I thought about this book. There's no such thing as a dragon, a little kid book. So my wife and I, Heather, we have two little boys. And part of our nightly routine is that we read books every single night before they go to bed. And we'll read a few books. And this is one of their books. There's no such thing as dragon. And in this story, we see that old Billy Bixby, uh, he wakes up one day and he wakes up and at the foot of his bed is a little small dragon that's just sitting there staring at him so cute as little baby dragons are. And so he immediately goes downstairs to tell his mom, hey mom, guess what? There's a dragon up in my room. And his mom says, Billy, here's what you need to understand. There's no such thing as a dragon. And so she explains, there's no such thing as a a dragon. And so Billy listens to his mom and says, okay, there must not be a dragon there. So he begins to ignore the dragon that was in his room. And the more he ignores the dragon, guess what? The larger it gets. So every time he would ignore this dragon, it would just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And it started affecting their lives and it started destroying things in their house. And it grew so big to the point where it's bulging out of the house to where it stood up and it started walking around. And the house was like a shell, like a turtle on its back. And it started walking around and affecting every single area of their life, destructing everything Until finally Billy says, guys, there's a dragon. And he convinced mom and dad that there was a dragon. And then if you go to the very last page, what we see is that the more that they started acknowledging the dragon, the more it went back to its original size. And at the very end of the book, it says this on the last page. The mom says, I don't mind dragons this size. But why did it have to grow so big? And Billy says, I'm not sure. But I think it just wanted to be noticed. Now, what it reminds me of this series, the fact that we all have some baby monsters in our lives, and it's so easy for these things for us to ignore them, to act like they're not there, but the more we do that, the larger they get, and what's so important is for us to acknowledge some of these things when they're babies, And deal with them when they're small. Because they're so much easier to deal with when they're small. And so what we've been doing is we've been taking a look at certain people in the Bible that experienced some of these small things that led to big things. And this week we're looking at one of the most well-known people in the Bible. I'm telling you, this guy is a Bible Hall of Famer. 
and his name is David. And we're looking at this guy in the Old Testament by the name of David. And let's listen to arguably probably one of his worst days of his life. 2 Samuel chapter 11, starting in verse 1, it says this. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David, who was the king at the time, he sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. And late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David, he got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. Danger zone, right there. Goes on to say this in verse 3. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told she is Bathsheba. So the lady taking a bath (laughs) is named Bathsheba. (laughs) You cannot make that up. Like, you can't. It's real. So she she is Bathsheba, the daughter of some guy, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David, it gets worse, then David sent messengers to get her, and she came to the palace, and he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. Yep, I said that in church. (laughs) And it says, then she returned home. Later, I mean, this is where it gets crazy. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant... She sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. (laughs) Verse 6, it says, Then David, he sent word to Joab, who is over the army, Send me Uriah the Hittite, which is Bathsheba's husband. Send him back. So Joab sent him to David. And then if you go on to read, you'll see that David has this plan to manipulate the situation. He knows that he made a mistake. He knows that something's gone wrong. And so his plan is to cover it up. His plan is to lie and to deceive and to have this scheme where if I can bring her husband back from the battlefield, then he could sleep with his wife. And then whenever, oops, I'm pregnant, you could think that it was actual the husband's, not David's. So he brings him back. But what he didn't factor in is the fact that Uriah was a man of character. And so Uriah is like, how can I go and enjoy myself and how can I go spend time with my family when all my other soldiers are out on the battlefield? I refuse to do that. And he stayed at the king's palace. So David, he makes the choice. Okay, I'm going to take it to a whole nother level. So what he chooses to do is to get Uriah drunk. Because if I can get him drunk enough to lower his inhibitions, he'll go home and then everything will be good if I can make that happen. But Uriah had more character and integrity drunk than David did at the time sober. And so he wouldn't do it. So once he realized that this plan would not work, he even made it go even worse. And it says this in verse 14. It says, so the next morning, David, he wrote a letter to Joab and gave it to Uriah to deliver. The letter instructed Joab, station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is fiercest, then pull back so that he will be killed. So Joab assigned Uriah to a spot close to the city 
wall where he knew the enemy's strongest men were fighting. And when the enemy soldiers came out of the city to fight, Uriah the Hittite was killed along with several other Israelite soldiers. And it goes on to say this in verse 26. And when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. And when the period of mourning was over, David sent for her and brought her to the palace. And she became one of his wives. Then she gave birth to a son. But the Lord was displeased with what David had done. My goodness, this is some drama. I mean, this is like daytime soap opera, next time on the days of our lives, type of drama that's happening here in this. And honestly, I don't know if you ever read something in the Bible and wish it wasn't there. This is one of those chapters for me. I wish that this wasn't in the Bible. Because I don't want to remember David this way. Like, this is not how I want to remember David. Like, I want to remember David as one of the greatest heroes of the faith. Like, one of the guys that will be on the Mount Rushmore of Bible characters. The guy that did so many cool things. I want to remember David as the guy who was the shepherd that then was faithful and turned into the king that left a lasting legacy. See, I want to remember David that way. I want to remember David as the warrior who had the courage, even as a young man, to stand up to the giant Goliath when nobody else would. But not only did he have the courage, but he had the skill of a warrior to be able to kill him just with a slingshot. I want to remember him like that. I want to remember him as the worshiper who wrote all these passionate worship songs that are we found in the book of Psalms. So many of the books in Psalms, which is the largest Book of the Bible, 150 chapters, so many of those were written by David, including Psalm 23, where David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you, God, are close beside me. That's how I want to remember David. So my question is, how in the world did David a guy that if you study the scriptures, you will see that, da- that David was called by God himself, a man after my own heart. So how can David, the guy that was the man after God's own heart, find himself in this situation? How does he end up here? Where one look from a roof snowballs into committing adultery and lies and deceit, manipulation, scheming, and eventually murder in order to just cover everything up. Well, I don't know if you saw it in the story, but it all started in the very first verse that we read. It says this in 2 Samuel 11, verse 1. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David stayed behind. Today, if you're taking notes, I want to talk to you about the silent killer today of complacency. Complacency. I don't know what you think of when you think of that word. When you think of the word complacency, what's the definition in your mind? Here's my definition. Complacency is just simply this. A feeling of false security or self-satisfaction while being completely unaware of potential dangers or deficiencies. That's what complacency is. 
It is a baby monster. That is a feeling of false security or self-satisfaction while being completely unaware and blind of potential dangers or deficiency. And see, what makes complacency so dangerous and such a dangerous baby monster is that that blinds you from seeing bigger, more destructive monsters that are in your future. And see, complacency, here's what it'll do. Complacency will cause you to get stuck. It will cause you to stay right where you are, to stop moving forward. It will cause you to lose all drive and all motivation, and it will cause you to stop getting better. And it will cause you to stop moving forward. And listen, here's what you need to understand. If you are a follower of Jesus, if at some point in your life you've made the decision, I am following Jesus, that's who I am. I've said yes to Jesus. I've been saved. I am a Christian. If you are a follower of Jesus, you should never become complacent, ever. Never become complacent because God designed us to live a life where we're always moving forward and always getting better. Listen, today, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, some of you, maybe you're just now starting following Jesus, and everything is new, and you're learning everything every single day, or maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time. Maybe you've been all in for a very long time. I'm telling you, I want you to know that God has designed this whole thing, that no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, there's always a next step, always. Listen, there's always more. You'll never come to the end when it comes to God. There is always more. There's always a next step. And I want you to understand today that when we're not actively moving forward, we're automatically sliding backwards. Please understand that this thing called life is not flat. It's on a hill. It's uphill. So if we're not constantly moving forward and we stop, we start to slide backwards. It's really important to know that today because that means if complacency sets in, you'll stop moving forward and you'll start sliding backwards. And we see this in David's story. We see someone who became complacent because it says when kings normally go to war, David, the king, he didn't go. He stayed right where he was. He stayed home. And this whole thing started because David wasn't where he was supposed to be. That he couldn't have been doing what he shouldn't have been doing if he was doing what he should have been doing. I know that sounded a lot like either Dr. Seuss or Buster Rhymes, depending on who you are and your flavor. But it's true. He couldn't have been doing what he shouldn't have been doing if he was doing what he should have been doing. And so when kings normally go out to war, here's what David was doing. I'm staying at home. And I think the Bible, he tells us this detail for a reason. In fact, I think it points to the fact that one of the greatest ways for you and I to become complacent is to not know our purpose or to maybe know our purpose, but we refuse to step into our purpose. And the truth is that he would have never seen Bathsheba taking a bath if he was on the battlefield, stepping into his God-given purpose as a king. 
And just like David had a purpose, I want you to understand today, church, that you have a purpose. And not knowing your purpose or not stepping into your purpose is a very dangerous thing that could lead to the baby monster of complacency. And if it was true for David, a man after God's own heart, I'm telling you, it can be true for me and you. So here's my question. Why did David become complacent? Why? Like, what made him not step into his purpose? And as I started thinking about that and journaling this week, thinking about this text and trying to ask why, I really came up with a lot of answers. So I'm going to give you four. I could have given you 10, but I think just for the sake of time, let me just share four reasons that I believe maybe why he didn't step into his purpose. And the truth is, maybe you find yourself here today and you become complacent and you're struggling to step into your purpose or even know your purpose. And the truth is the same answers that we could answer for David could be the same answers for us. So let me give you four reasons of why maybe he didn't do it, why he became complacent. Here's number one. Possibly it was ignorance. Maybe he just didn't know that that's what kings do, that he didn't know that that's when kings should go off to war. I personally don't think this is the reason because most scholars believe that he was around 50 years old and that he'd been king up to about 20 years at this point. So he should know springtime, that's when kings go to war. But just let's believe the best and just think maybe that was the reason. Maybe it was because he didn't know that that was his purpose. And maybe you find yourself at church today and you don't know your purpose. Let me look you in the eyes and let me say something that you maybe think I should be saying all the time or that feels cliche sometimes, but I don't really care. I'm gonna tell it to you because it is true. God has a purpose for your life. You need to hear that fresh today. Maybe you have heard this a long time ago or maybe you heard it yesterday. You need to hear this fresh like it's right from God. God has a purpose for your life. You're watching online right now. God has a purpose for your life. I know that people like me should say things like that. I know that that's what you're fully expecting and maybe you hear it so much that it becomes white noise and the weight of that statement, which is so incredible that God himself, the creator of the universe, would give Give us a purpose when he didn't have to, but the fact that he did, and let that hit your heart fresh today, that you have a purpose, that we have a purpose, God has a purpose for your life, and let me confidently say what that purpose is. I know God's purpose for your life. I know God's purpose for my life, and it's the same thing. Here's the purpose for your life. See, your purpose is to make a difference in the lives of other people. That is your purpose from God. Psychologists, they have a term for this called transcendence. And it's where scientifically, if you want to know, they've discovered that the highest level of fulfillment is not when you can get everything for yourself. Not when you can get the best job or live in the best house, make the most money, and you accumulate all your goals and do all those things. That your highest level of fulfillment is actually found when you're making a difference in the lives of somebody else. So scientifically and biblically, your purpose is to make a difference in the lives of other people. Here's what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. It says, your lives, you want to know what it's about? Your lives light up the world and let others see your light from a distance. For how can you hide a city that stands on a hilltop? 
And who would light a lamp and then hide it in an obscure place? Instead, it's a place where everyone in the house can benefit from its light. So don't hide your light. Let it shine brightly before others. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says, We are ambassadors of the anointed one of Jesus, who carry the message of Christ to the world, as though God were tenderly pleading with them directly through our lips. And Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, For we are God's masterpiece, that you are a priceless piece of art. You are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus. And here's why he did that. And here's why you're a masterpiece. So we can do, not just think, not just pray, but do the good things that he has planned for us long ago. Listen, church, that is who you are. According to God's word, you are a light that is to shine bright in the darkness. You are an ambassador carrying the message of Jesus. And you are God's masterpiece created by him to do good works. That's who you are. And when you know who you are, you will know what to do. See, your purpose is to make a difference in the lives of other people. Now, how we live out that purpose is different for each one of us. See, how I live out that purpose in my life is different than how maybe you live that out in your life. See, how I live out my purpose right now is leading this church. But how you live out that purpose may be different. And that's okay. I think one of the things that sometimes we get tricked into thinking is that the only way to make a difference in the lives of other people and the only way to actually live out God's purpose for your life is that you have to somehow be in full-time ministry. And that it's only the people that stand up here that make a difference and that walk in their purpose. That is not true. That is a lie straight from hell. I'm telling you that no matter what your life looks like, you can make a difference right now, right where you're at. Whatever job that you have, you can be right in the middle of the purpose that God has for you. And that you can make a difference. If you're in the marketplace, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're a lawyer... If you're a doctor, if you're working in an office, if you're working from home and just in Zoom rooms all day long, you can make a difference right where you are, exactly what you're doing. If you're a college student right now, you need to know that right there as a college student, you can make a difference right now, that you can be a part of our dream team and that you can make a difference right here, right now. That if you're a mom and you're a dad, if you're a grandparent, if you are a stay-at-home mom, a stay-at-home dad, that you can make a difference right now in the lives of other people people. Your purpose, it may look different than mine. It may look different from the person beside you. It may look different than other people that are right there in that chat right now online with you. But make no mistake about it. Our purpose is the same. Our purpose is to make a difference in the lives of other people. And you need to know that we are passionate about this as a church. We are passionate about helping you discover how you're wired so that you can make the biggest difference and live in your purpose the best possible way. And that's why we do Grow Track. If you've been around here for any extended amount of time, you have heard us talk about this thing called Grow Track. In fact, it is the only thing that we have announced every single week of our church. And so if you've been here a long time, it can sound like a broken record. Get into Grow Track. Have you done Grow Track yet? Get into Grow Track. I get it. I understand. But here's why we are so passionate about talking about it all the time. Because we believe that when you do that, there's a level of fulfillment that you can walk in. 
And we want to help you discover how God uniquely wired you so that you can step into your purpose. And so if you've never done that, I invite you to come today because today is the step where we help you discover how you're designed. We help you discover your personality and the spiritual gifts that God put on the inside of you and the way that you have these itches that if you can scratch them, I'm telling you, you come alive like never before and you can make a massive difference when you're right there in the middle of your design. And we want to help you. And that's all today at 4.30. Go to queencitypeople.com slash grow track. You can sign up, find all the information there. I just want to encourage you to do that. So maybe when we look at David's life and what made him get complacent and step into that, maybe, just maybe, it was ignorance. But maybe it was number two. Maybe it was just comfort. Maybe it was comfort that kept him there. Maybe he was just comfortable in the palace. Maybe he just had a very comfortable winter. So when spring came and kings were supposed to go off to war, he just made a decision. You know what? I'd much rather stay home. Maybe going to war would have been way outside his comfort zone. And maybe right now you find yourself stuck. Maybe right now you find yourself complacent. And right now maybe you find yourself comfortable. And stepping into the purposes that God has for your life would be way outside of your comfort zone. Like doing what God is calling you to do would just be too uncomfortable. Let me just tell you something that I've learned in this whole following Jesus thing. I don't think God is really concerned with my comfort zone. I really don't. I don't think my comfort zone is the top of his priority list. In fact, write this down. Comfort zones don't keep our lives safe. They keep our lives small. So these comfort zones that we make for our lives, that we think that's what makes us safe and that's what keeps us safe, what it does, it actually keeps you right there and keeps your life very small. Because if you read through the Bible and you read about what this whole following Jesus thing is meant to look like, I'm telling you, it is a little uncomfortable. That's why Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 16, in verse 24 and 25, that if any of you wants to be my follower, okay, buckle up, get ready. I'm going to tell you what that means. Jesus says, you must give up your own way and take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Now, when I read through that and I see things like giving up your life, that you must give up your own way, take up a cross, follow somebody else. Come on, that's uncomfortable. It is. And listen, the moment that we become comfortable... The moment that we just are stuck in a comfort zone, the moment that we become comfortable, it's like that's when something toxic starts to happen to our souls. And so maybe for David, what kept him right there, maybe it was comfort, maybe it was just comfortable, or maybe it was number three, maybe it was laziness. Maybe what kept him there was that he was too lazy to go to war. That he was too lazy to do the things that kings were supposed to do. And by the way, I think this was the reason. And here's why. Because if you read through it again, you'll notice that he takes an afternoon nap. And then he just takes for a leisurely stroll on the roof in the middle of the day. Like that is not the life of somebody with a packed schedule. It just is not. So I think think that possibly there was just some laziness. and, and, And maybe that he just thought, I just got 
to the point where I'm lazy and I'd just rather let somebody else take care of it. I'd rather somebody else go and do what I'm supposed to do. And listen, laziness at its root is selfishness. At the root, under the surface, at the root of laziness is selfishness. And one of my greatest concerns, I just gotta be honest, one of my greatest concerns over the last 10 months Like going through what we've all gone through, going through this pandemic, is that we would become spiritually lazy. That we would just drift unintentionally, not mean to, but just because of the circumstances that we would just drift and be lulled to sleep towards spiritual laziness. That we would just go into cruise control. That we would make things more about us than it is about others. That we would drift from things like seeking God, from going to church, from serving, from giving, from being in community, from jumping into small groups, from inviting people to church, from sharing Jesus, from making a difference. And come on, church, may that never be us. My prayer and hope today is that it's kind of shaking us up a little bit of just like, hey, let's wait. May that never be Queen City Church. Come on, let's never get lazy. Let's never go into cruise control. Let's never be content with what God has done. Let's keep believing that the best is yet to come, that our best days are ahead of us, not behind us, that even though we're in the middle of something that's really uncomfortable still, that our best days, they're not way back in the past, that they're in the future, that really the best is yet to come. It's just going to keep getting better and better, so let's keep trusting God for more. Let's keep stepping out in faith. Let's keep advancing. Let's keep taking ground. Let's keep seeking God. Let's keep being generous and keep serving and inviting and reaching. Let's keep refusing to live life alone. Let's keep sharing Jesus. Let's keep being a light into darkness. Let's keep being the ambassadors carrying the message of Jesus. Let's keep being the masterpiece created to do good works. Let's keep making a difference and let's keep moving forward. Let's do it. But maybe for David, the reason why was laziness, or maybe it was the last thing, number four, is apathy. Maybe it was apathy that kept him in that palace. And the truth is, apathy is pretty close to laziness, but it's different. And maybe he just became apathetic. And here's my best description of what that is. My best description of that is like, you just develop a whatever attitude. Just where whatever's happening, it just feels like whatever. Where over time, you just stop caring. Where you really become numb to everything that is happening and what God is calling you to do. It's where your heart begins to get hard towards other people and towards your purpose. And maybe that's what kept David from stepping into his purpose. Maybe apathy is what caused complacency. And maybe apathy is what's causing you to not step into your purpose. See, with everything that's happened over the past year, I get it. I think that there's been times where I've been so inundated with what's, I don't know if if you can relate to this, but where you're just inundated with things, social media, news, and all these things, all this stuff, all these bad things that it's almost like just to even just get through life, it's like you've got to become numb to it where you just shut down, or it's like 
It hurts too much to care. And it's so easy for our hearts to get hard among all these things that we see and that we experience and what we're all going through together. And maybe it's been so easy to just, it's just easier to stop caring. I just want to remind you that there's a world that needs us to care. I want to remind you that we go to work with people and there's people in our families and in our neighborhoods and our school campuses that need us to care. That we live in this city that we call home, that we love with all our hearts, where one out of three people still live in poverty. Where 45% of kids, even higher, live in poverty. And that's one of the highest rates in all the country. Where there's a crime rate three times that, the national average, where the heroin addiction epidemic is going crazy and so many of you have experienced that to the point of somebody you know resulting in overdosing. We live in the city that statistically speaking is the fifth most segregated city in the, in the United States and that's just the social stats. When you dig into the spiritual stats you'll see that 34% of the population is unchurched and if you dig even more into the demographics you'll see that 52% of people that are 40 years and younger are unchurched, are far from God. And listen, that is on top of over 10 months of fighting COVID. Where, I don't know if you're aware of this, but everything bad is up right now. If you just study, if you just look into the different social things and things that are happening, everything that's bad that's up. So divorce is up. Abuse is up. Anxiety is up. Depression is up. Suicide is up. Addiction is up. Loneliness is up. Everything bad is up right now. And listen, don't ever let our hearts get numb to this. Because here's what I want you to understand. When you see things like that when you see these numbers, when you see those things, it's not just numbers. It's not just stats. It's not just percentages. That is people. That is real people with real stories and real names. And I'm telling you, they really matter to God. And so it should really matter to us. Let's never let our hearts get numb to this. Let's never get okay with this. Let's never get used to this. This should break our hearts. This should fire us up. There should be something when we see that where our spines are stiffened with courage to do something about that. And you need to know that if you're a part of this church or if you're kicking the tires around here, you need to know that at our church, we take the brokenness of our city personally. That's why we have a value that says our city is our responsibility. It's not somebody else's responsibility. It's not only politicians' responsibility. It's not only some other community leader's responsibility. It is our responsibility. Our city is our responsibility because we have an answer for people, and his name is Jesus. Listen, we don't want to just be a church in the city. We want to be a church for the city. And I'm telling you, God has given us a purpose, individually and collectively as a church, to make a difference in this city. And as long as there's breath in my lungs and my heart is beating, I'm going to do everything I can to make the biggest difference that I can in this city. And I don't want apathy to stop that. So why 
did this happen in 2 Samuel chapter 11? What were the things that caused the complacency that snowballed into all these different things? I don't know. I don't know. But I do know that the baby monster of complacency snowballed in David's life and almost destroyed his life. And I also know I do not want that to be your life. That I don't want complacency to set in, for you to get stuck, to stop moving forward, and then all of a sudden start sliding backwards and snowball into something that you never ever thought your life would look like. But here's the great thing, is that David's story doesn't end there. That if you keep reading, we get to read more of David's story. Thank God it doesn't end on his worst day. And thank God my story doesn't end on my last day. That on my worst day, God didn't say I'm done with you. Because that's not the God that we serve. That's not the God that's in this Bible. And so when we see this, we see that David's story doesn't end there. In fact, in the very next chapter, he gets confronted by a guy named Nathan. And Nathan, he comes and probably his worst fears are coming true right here where all the things that were in the dark get brought into the light. And I think some of you, you maybe have that fear right now. But let me tell you a truth from God's word is that whenever you take something that's in the dark and you put it into the light, a lot of times we're scared to death of that because we think that there's gonna be so much shame or all these negative consequences of our life. But here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that if you take something that's in the dark When you put it to the light, you'll experience two things, freedom and healing. And so this happens to David. All the things that were in the dark, all the things that snowballed from his complacency that no doubt he was weighed down by gets brought into the light. And then if we read through that, we see that David's life is forever changed in one verse. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. And it says this, David, he confessed to Nathan, I've sinned against God. Now let me pause right there and say that's actually a beautiful picture of what it means to repent. So I don't know what you think of when you think of the word repent. It's a pretty churchy word that you probably only hear in church. And a lot of times there's these really negative, like there's a bad rap attached to this word. A lot of times people think that this word's very angry and accusatory and it's somebody like me that stands up with a, like a, like a just, just mad face and just says, repent, repent, you sinners. And that's a lot of times what we associate this word for. But I'm telling you, this is a beautiful word. In fact, in Romans chapter two, verse four, it says God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. So you wanna know what that word means, that word repent? It literally means this, to change your mind and to change your direction. So here's a picture of repentance. It's, I'm going one way. I realize God in his grace, he gives me wisdom for the fact that where I'm going is not good. And so I tell God, God, I realize I'm not going this way. I'm sorry. I change my mind and then I change my direction. And now, Instead of going that way, now I'm going this way. That is the picture of repentance. And that's what David does. Listen to what it says. It says that he does that, that he says, I've sinned against God. And look at the immediate response. Nathan pronounced, yes, but that's not the last word. That your mistake, your issues, your problems, 
those big things, those big monsters, it's not the last word. Thank God this next sentence is in there. God forgives your sin. And some of you are here and you feel like, man, I've messed up way too much and I've made too big of mistakes to ever walk in my purpose. I know that I could have done it six months ago, but the mistakes that I made last night, the things that I've been doing in the pandemic, the, my mistakes, my problems, you don't understand that that has disqualified me from making a difference, from stepping into my purpose, that there's no way that God could use me anymore to make a difference in the lives of other people. And I want you to understand today that God's word, that's not what it says. God is saying, yeah, those mistakes, they don't have the last word. You may have made some mistakes, but you are not forever defined by those mistakes. See, God's word says that your mistakes don't have the last word. The cross has the last word. So those mistakes, those things that make you feel disqualified, those things that make you feel like God can't use me anymore because of the mistakes that I made. I'm telling you, that does not have the last word. The cross has the last word. God says, I sent my son Jesus to die on a cross to pay for every single mistake and every single sin, including the ones that you think disqualify you from making a difference. The ones that you think disqualify you from making a, a difference in having the purpose that God has for your life. God says, I paid for that with my son. And not only that, I provided through his death, burial and resurrection, a way for our relationship to be perfect and a way for you to live the best life that you ever possibly can live with me in a relationship with me right here on earth and forever in eternity in heaven. I made a way for that to happen and guess what? I've still got a purpose in your life. Somebody needs to hear that today. Somebody online needs to hear that. God's still got a purpose for your life. God still has a purpose for your life. You need to understand right now, any attack of the enemy that says, no, 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 you can't, no, you messed up too big, that is a lie. God still has a purpose for your life. You can still make a difference in the lives of other people. All you have to do, get this, is repent. The truth is, that can happen today. You can make that choice that I'm going this way, but God, I don't wanna go that way. I'm gonna change my mind and I'm gonna change my direction. And God says, that's all I need. And receive what I've already paid for. And I'll make you brand new because your mistakes don't have the last word. The cross has the last word. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. And I want you right now just to ask God, what are you saying to me? What are you speaking directly to me? Because I believe that there's something that God had specifically for you today. And I want you to ask him, what are you saying to me? Ask him, what, what does my response need to be to this message? Ask him for a next step. And maybe you're here and you've been battling this baby monster of complacency. And maybe your eyes have been opened today that it's there and you need to acknowledge it. And he's speaking to you about some little compromises that you've been making in your life that need to change. Or maybe you're here 
and you're way past the stage of complacency. And like David, it snowballed. And, it, and you made some mistakes. I just wanna remind you that the cross, not your mistake, has the last word. And today, everything can change. He can make you brand new. Listen, he's still got a purpose for your life. All you have to do is repent, change your mind and change your direction. And we wanna give you that opportunity right now. We're not gonna do anything to embarrass you. We're not gonna ask you to come forward. Here's all I wanna do, that today, if that's your decision, I need to repent. I need to change my mind, change my direction. I need to simply go out a different way than how I came in. And I wanna give my life to Jesus. Maybe you've never done that. You're here and you've never made the decision to give him your life. Or maybe you're here and you have in the past, but you know right now you're not living for God. And you've went off and you've done your own thing and you've lived life your own way. And today, God in his grace is saying, will you come back home? Will you change your direction and just come back? And so if you're here and you know that's your decision, you need to say yes to Jesus. You need to receive grace. You need a fresh start. You need to start or you need to restart a relationship with him. If you're here, I'm gonna ask on the count of three for you to raise your hand and I'm gonna pray with you. And when that happens, I just want you to, with courage, put your hand in the air. If you're watching online, put your hand in the air and say, that's me. Just as a way, a step of faith and say, nobody's gonna be looking around. This is a, we intentionally create a private moment so that you can have this connection with God. So if you're here and that's your decision, you know that that's what you need to do. On the count of three, boldly put your hand in the air and say, that's me. I receive grace right now. One, two, three. I'm saying yes to Jesus. That's me. Just put your hand up in the air. That's you. I got you. I got you. Yeah, that's amazing. I am proud of you. Put your hand up. It's great. Anybody else? Anybody else? Okay, you put your hands down. Pray something like this in your heart. Jesus, I love you. I love you. And just tell him, Jesus, I, I need you. I'm sorry that I've lived my life without you. I repent today. I changed my mind. I stopped thinking the things that I should be, that I shouldn't be thinking. And I want to think the way that you want me to think. And God, I changed my direction today. Will you come live inside me and change me and make me brand new? I surrender my whole life to you. I give you everything. And today, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody said, amen. Church, there were some people that just raised their hand. And here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that all of heaven erupts in a party whenever that happens. And so right now that's happening. So can we clap our hands and join with the party in heaven? and say, we're so proud of you. That's amazing. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has changed your perspective on God or life, feel free to email your story to info at queencitypeople.com. We'd love to celebrate the change happening in your life. We'd also love to pray for you. If you have any prayer requests, big or small, head over to queencitypeople.com slash prayer and fill out the form with as much detail as you'd like. For more information about Queen City Church's service times, location, or events, visit queencitypeople.com or follow us on social media platforms at Queen City People. 